Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. This is episode 7, Microplastics, Macro Problems. I'm Manali, and this is Nasreen. Manali, I've been thinking about going scuba diving. Oh, really? Nice. I've heard there are some nice places in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, I was thinking about checking out Marianas Trench. That's super deep. You sure you want to start down there? Go big or go home, am I right? I guess so. But I was reading that they keep finding plastic on their dives down to the Marianas Trench. Nasreen, maybe you can do a cleanup when you're down there. Good idea. We talked about plastics being a big issue before, but it looks like it's an even deeper problem than we imagined. Yeah, and now we even have microplastics in the water. Are those like baby plastics? Exactly. Microplastics are plastics that are 5 millimeters or less in size, and that's what we'll be discussing in this episode, but with our material science spin. We'll also discuss how just a few people can make a big difference for the environment. We'll have an interview with the founders, Leia and Carell, of a grassroots plastic pollution reducing organization out of Atlanta, Georgia, called the Whale Shark Project. You know, we can create drastic change with a few simple changes in our habits. So Manali, I went to buy tea last week and I noticed a lot of the tea bags on sale were made of plastic. That's not good. It's been shown that plastic tea bags leach microplastics into the water. Am I drinking plastics with my tea? What if it ends up in my poop? Yeah, that might happen. But there's not enough evidence right now to say that these microplastics are harmful to health. The who is... The who? The who. Hoot? Like how many licks to the center of my Tootsie Pop? Uh, no. The WHO, the World Health Organization, is doing more research to figure out the actual effect of microplastics on humans. Thank goodness. More tea, please. But Manali, you keep mentioning these microplastics. What exactly are they? Spill the tea. Is that what the kids are saying these days? Well, microplastics are basically plastic particles that are less than 5 millimeters in size. Hmm, five millimeters is close to a quarter of an inch. That's like half the width of your fingernail. Exactly. And since these microplastics are so small, you can find them everywhere. In the oceans, in your cosmetics, and even in your food. Okay, so where do they come from? Are people just shredding up their plastic bags, chopping up their bottles into tiny pieces, and then throwing them into the ocean? Kind of. Microplastics can arise in several ways. The first is when bigger plastics break down from mechanical action and get broken into smaller and smaller pieces. I read that an estimated 12.7 million tons of plastics ends up in our oceans every year. I would have to grind up a lot of plastic bottles for that. That would be a weird hobby, but a recent article from the BBC said that most of the plastic in the ocean actually ends up discarded from ships. And then these are broken down by wave action, or just the wind, and even by the sun. The tides have turned, I see. Yeah, but it's not just nature. Another way we get microplastics is by direct release of them. Items like household cleaners, or toothpaste, and facial cleansers can all have those little plastic beads in them. Oh yeah, I had a cleanser with microbeads once, but I learned the beads are tiny pieces of PET, which is bad for the environment, so I switched to a different cleanser. 
Good for you. A lot of those microbead face washes have actually been banned since 2015. I also only use face washes which are not harmful to the environment, like Tata Harper or Pacifica Beauty. Manali, no free advertisements. Tata Harper or Pacifica Beauty, if you're looking for a podcast to sponsor, hit us up. You're right. We are thirsty for that sponsorship money. Speaking of being thirsty, so far we've only talked about plastics in the oceans. What about my drinking water? Well, microplastics are actually a huge problem in all waterways. Like lakes and rivers too? Yep. All the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, your local streams and tributaries. Drink local, folks. Oh no, are the fishies affected too? Yes, there's over a hundred thousand microplastic particles per square mile of the Great Lakes, and they found microplastics inside over 12% of freshwater fish. That's so much. What happens to the poor fishies? Unfortunately, if a fish ingests microplastics, it can damage their organs or leach harmful chemicals that can compromise their immune system or cause growth and reproduction issues. And the shrimpies are dying too! Oh no, not the shrimpies. So the plastics doesn't just pass through their bodies? No, a lot of the times the pieces can even slip into the fish's bloodstream and other organs, which can be deadly. That's awful. I'm so sorry, poor fishies. But banali, that's a discussion for an ecologist. Let's talk materials. What kind of plastics are we talking about here? Microplastics aren't a specific type of plastic. It could be anything, but the most common polluters for the ocean are polyethylene, polypropylene, polystyrene, and nylon, polyethylene being the most at around 40%. So basically, plastic bags, utensils, bottle caps, clothes, and fishnets? Exactly. And like we said in our first episode, plastics don't degrade and go away easily, so any of these materials can last in the ocean for a long, long time. Fun fact, the oldest container found in the ocean in 2018 was actually a high-density polyethylene canister manufactured in 1971. A lot of bottles and containers actually have dates on them, so that's how we know. But when these canisters break down, the microplastics are much, much smaller in size, which means that they have a much higher surface area. Why is that bad? It means that there's a higher area for chemical contaminants to attach onto the plastics, so when fish or even humans ingest them, there's a higher likelihood of toxic harm. In our plastics episode, we talked about how many plastics are hydrophobic, which means that hydrophobic toxins like BPA and perfluoroalkyls can easily attach to them. Alright, whoa, whoa, quit throwing out all these big words. Oops, my bad. BPA is bisphenol A. Yeah, that doesn't really help me at all in the stream. Oh, right. Um, so it's basically this chemical that is often used to make PET, number one plastics, but also polycarbonates and other polyester-based plastics. It's like a building block for these plastics, like their backbone. It's also used to line cans and other food packaging in order to extend shelf life. Okay, so is this thing bad? No, typically they're pretty safe and low doses that humans are exposed to. But if all the fish have more BPA and it's in our water, then the amount of BPA we consume can end up being harmful. That's not good. And what about that other thing? Perflower kale? Perfluoroalkyls. These are also chemicals used to coat paper, cardboard, etc. to make them repel oil and water. 
And these these perfluoroalkyl alkyly things, are they killing me? At high concentrations, these perfluoroalkyls can cause a lot of damage to human livers and other potential problems with reproduction and kidneys. Nasreen, I'm scared. Is eating fish and drinking water going to kill my liver and my kidneys and all my potential future babies? <laughs> Calm down, Manali. But yeah, even your cat babies, basically. Wow. But Nasreen, <laughs> this is not something to be calm about. How do we fix this? Well, we have to reduce the amount of microplastics in our water supplies. But before we do that, we have to figure out how much plastic is currently in the water. And are there tests for this? Of course, that's where material scientists like us can help. Perfect. I'm a material scientist. Tell me what to do. Well, the standards are set by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. There are three main things they test. The water in the oceans, the sand from the beach, and sediment from the bottom of the seabeds. What kind of testing do they do? They take samples from three places and separate out the plastics using density, sieves, and screens that measure the percent of plastics. And I've heard a lot of labs are also testing the stomachs of fish and whales and sharks that die to see if they have plastics in their tummies. Once they've collected plastic samples, they run tests like FTIR and DSE to determine what type of plastic is in it. We talked about this in our previous episode. FTIR shoots infrared radiation at materials. IR causes different molecules and chemicals to vibrate at specific energies like they're super hyper, and this creates a unique fingerprint that tells us what the plastic is. Yep, and DSE measures the melting temperatures of these materials. By knowing this information, scientists like us can tell what plastics are the biggest culprits contributing to ocean pollution. And we can also see what kind of contaminants, like perfluoroalkyls and BPA, these plastics are carrying. And there are other instruments, too, that measure the size of particles, what their surface is like, and much, much more. If you're curious about all the fancy lab techniques scientists can use, check out the links on our website to these very thorough reports from the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and from research funded by the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency. Okay, so you just told me how to figure out what all the problems are, but how do we fix them? Well, once we know how these microplastics and contaminants behave in terms of their chemistry and material science, we could do a better job of figuring out how to filter and clean them out with new technologies. A lot of wastewater treatment plants can't get rid of all the microplastics that come through, but scientists are working on figuring out how to make better filters to remove these contaminants so they don't end up in the waters. We can of course limit our use of things like microbeads in cleaning products and put all of our plastics in the recycling stream, but unfortunately the microplastics issue goes way beyond the consumer. We need help from the government and from companies such as with governmental bans. Like in 2015, the U.S. Microbeads Free Waters Act was passed, which banned the use of microbeads in cosmetics, drugs, and household products. Yeah, and a lot of other countries have also put such bans into effect, like India, Italy, Venezuela, and Japan. There's supposed to be a global ban on microbead product by 2020. That's great, but we also need companies looking into reducing plastics in their waste streams, too. Companies like Red Lobster, with their delicious Cheddar Bay biscuits, have agreed to phase out plastic straws. Also, United Airlines, Walt Disney, McDonald's in the UK are also phasing out plastic straws. 
There's also NextWave, which is a coalition founded by companies including Dell, HP, IKEA, and an environmental group called The Lonely Whale. They employ people living in coastal regions to collect discarded plastic bottles within 30 miles of waterways to prevent them from making their way to the sea. The companies in the coalition recycle these waste plastics into their products. Oh yeah, when I was looking at buying a new laptop this summer, I saw that both Dell and HP have started using recycled bottles in their new computers. That's cool. And of course, as consumers, we can try and spread the word so that others also do their part in reducing plastic usage such as straws, recycling all of their 1-6 through six plastics as much as possible, and reusing bags and packaging. This is exactly what our guests for this episode are trying to do. Leia and Carell are aiming to reduce plastic consumption and raise awareness about plastic effects on oceans with their organization called the Whale Shark Project in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta's a weird choice for an ocean conservation organization. We don't really have any large bodies of water nearby. Yeah, but we've got the largest aquarium in North America and a ton of ocean science and engineering and earth and atmospheric research out of Georgia Institute of Technology. They hosted the 2019 Ocean Visions Climate Summit, too. Sounds like someone's overcompensating. Shh, it doesn't matter, because they have four adult whale sharks. Whale sharks are my favorite sea animals, and everyone can do their part to make sure the waterways, rivers, lakes, and oceans stay clean and free of microplastics. Small actions can produce big results. That's why the founders of the Whale Shark Project started this grassroots collective impact campaign which has gotten support and involvement from all over Atlanta, including restaurants, the city government, the Atlanta Knitting Guild, Delta, and Printpack. The team, which I'm actually a part of, is helping to create an interactive whale shark sculpture, which will go in the Georgia Aquarium. Yeah, and this sculpture is going to be made of knit old plastic bags to raise awareness of the effect of plastic pollution on the health of whale sharks and the oceans in general. Starting in 2020, if you're in the Atlanta area, don't miss this awesome exhibit at the aquarium. Great. So let's go see what our guests have to say. So, hey, I am Karen Siles. I am the nice guy. Um, I'm a postdoctoral researcher in astrophysics. I used to live in Atlanta where I was an astrophysicist there at Georgia Tech. Uh, and hi, I'm Leah. I studied music technology at Georgia Tech for my master's, and this is where I met Sky. And then we became very close friends. Uh, and now I live in Paris, and I'm starting a business around education and sustainable development. Can you tell me more about the Whale Shark Project that you guys started? Um, how it got started, and what are your goals? So the Whale Shark Project is doing a collective impact campaign. Uh, it's gathered around an art exhibition, uh, a whale shark sculpture, and the overall goal is to reduce plastic pollution in Atlanta to obtain 50% less of plastic pollution by 2021. So we're doing the sculpture, but also a whole communication campaign to help reduce plastic pollution. And the idea is that 
This project is a grassroots project, meaning we really want the communities from Atlanta to participate, trying to create a network um, of schools, universities, businesses, nonprofits who are all trying to reduce plastic pollution. What kinds of things have you guys done so far? We did a student competition. We do plant parties where people can help us make the skin of the sculpture out of plastic bags. Uh, we built a website with resources to help people understand how they can recycle and reduce their plastic use. That's awesome. Um, so how did you start on this path? How did you create the Willow Shark Project? So we started in uh, summer 2017 um, with Leah. We decided to do some volunteering and we were just doing, you know, like sending food in Africa or going to play with refugees' kids. And we started to think of how can we, instead of treating the symptom, treat the cause of what are the issue. And the main issue regarding Atlanta, the first one we wanted to tackle was about uh, plastic pollution. And I was doing street art, so basically murals for fun. And as Leah mentioned, she was in music technology and we also jammed together. So we thought, how, how powerful would that be if we could use art to actually educate people and change the behavior of companies and bars and restaurants in order to reduce and recycle the different kind of materials that they should. I explained to Leah the ideas that I had of creating a, a sculpture. We would put it somewhere in Atlanta and maybe it would be made of plastic bottles to talk to represent, you know, the plastic pollution. Leah told me, okay, how about we reach out with the city of Atlanta and we, we explain them our project and how that could be really game-changing for Atlanta and, and all the Atlanteans. So along that line, when you reached out to the city of Atlanta, how, what was that process like? Were they very receptive? So we actually sent an email through their website saying, oh, hi, we're kids wanting to do something about plastic pollution. Can you, you know, point us towards resources? Or We didn't hear back from them, and we kind of forgot about it. And then I think maybe one or two months later, they sent an email uh, super happy about the project saying, oh, we should meet uh, and talk about it. The city of Atlanta was doing a rap campaign which is about educating people about where to recycle plastics, so plastic bags and like the bags that contain your bread. And by the way, you should bring them back to your grocery stores. Um, and so they wanted to tie our project into their campaign. And so this is how we started. And then we met with them regularly and they helped us meet with the aquarium people who then said they could host this culture. So um, like for the whale shark project, why did you choose to start with plastic. Plastic is one of the main sources of pollution in, in the ocean. 75% uh, of the pollution is actually plastic and the estimation has been that by 2050 we'll have more plastic than fish in terms of weight. 
it's really threatening right now. It's threatening the different animals. It's threatening the, the food that we eat because we have every plastic bag, every plastic wrapping, everything just decomposed in microplastic and it's really poisoning. It's, it's made up of petrol, right? So then it decomposes and fish just eat that and we eat the fish and for people that don't eat the fish, think about salt. You you use salt coming from from there and it contains actually microplastic. I think that Sky and I are both involved in a lot of sustainability projects and we're, you know, interested in different aspects of sustainability. But we thought that the issue of plastic is something that is easy to communicate about. You know, we can create drastic change with a few simple changes in our habits. Everyone can make a difference and it's not that complicated to act um, to reduce plastic pollution. What kind of small changes? Can you give us an example? This is why we did this collective campaign um, going to bars and restaurants and asking them if they want to partner with us, meaning, you know, for example, don't put a plastic straw in the glass of someone. Wait for him. If he wants a plastic straw, he would ask you. So tiny changes like this actually really change the game. So can you speak more to how you envision the sculpture? It would be two uh, giant whale sharks. The sketcher will be made of metal, plastic bags knitted for the skin, and uh, there will be an interaction uh, with the public. But I, I cannot say too much because it's kind of a surprise, and we want to let people discover and enjoy. Find out more about the interactive components of the whale shark sculpture on the Whale Shark Project website. Why a whale shark? So the whale shark came because it is a great symbol. Looks like whale and there are sharks. And those two different species are really endangered. For me, it's also a good, you know, like we want to represent all different species of the ocean. There are four whale sharks right now in uh, Georgia Aquarium, which is a non-profit, is also doing conservation and research about whale sharks to protect them. So can you speak more on um, ocean conservation and what are some of the major challenges? There are three main things that are threatening the ecosystems in the oceans. One of them is pollution, including plastic pollution. Plastic and other trash pollution, the bigger pieces can suffocate animals or animals can choke on them. And then the second issue with specifically for plastic, it breaks down into microplastics, like Sky mentioned earlier. And these microplastics um, gather pathogens and other you know, toxic things such as metals. And then they, they're very small and they get eaten by the bottom of the food chain. And then they enter the food chain through there. And then you can find plastic throughout the whole food chain up until the bigger fish that we eat. And people have actually found a lot of plastic in human guts um, everywhere on the globe. So this includes, you know, common trash like plastics and everything, but also 
products from agriculture, products from industries which, you know, just throw out their outputs, which are toxic. Another very important issue is overfishing. So overfishing means that we're killing more fish than fish are born. And so this makes the populations of fish collapse. Wow, that's interesting. What is the third thing? The third big issue, you know, that we're creating is climate change. We output a lot of CO2 in our atmosphere from burning fossil fuels. A quarter to 25% of the CO2 is absorbed in the oceans. And this makes the oceans more acid. And the issue is the bottom of the food chain are planktons. And they need to make their shells to survive. And they can't make shells if they're in an acid environment. And, you know, the rest of the food chains need this plankton to survive. And the other thing is because we're, you know, making the planet warmer, 93% of the warming goes into the oceans. And a lot of species less comfortable when things get hotter. You know, these three things, pollution, overfishing, and climate change, putting a strain on the oceans. So this is why we're trying to tackle at least one of these three issues. Yeah, that's crazy. I think I've only really been thinking about like narrowly microplastics, but like hearing all of all of what you guys just said made me very concerned. Like there's a lot we need to do. It's not only about, you know, biodiversity and all of that. It's about all the consequences for us. Most of us who work in sustainability have had some periods where we were very down from learning about all this. But I think for myself, I'm very optimistic about what we can do. It's important that we're not feeling depressed about it, but we're feeling hopeful that, you know, this is a new challenge and, you know, we're here to build a new place that is smarter and better. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going off of that, Sky, can you talk more about the Ocean Vision Conference and what, what people are doing globally for ocean conservation, reducing microplastics? So I get the chance to be part of uh, the Ocean Vision conferences. Those conferences were about what we can do for the ocean and what to provide solution, like either helping the different calls or creating solution to dissolve plastic. They, they worked uh, on a lot of different fields. Hopefully, we're going to see some of the solutions soon enough. So exciting to hear there's so many different perspectives trying to tackle this huge problem. Um, so what are some differences you've seen in terms of behavior and general recycling or sustainability in Europe versus America? I think that in Europe, in average, we recycle 40% of our plastic versus 10% for the U.S. It's more in the culture to recycle. So most houses have three bins. So we have regular trash, um, recyclables, and glass. Single-use bags are banned in many European countries, including France. So plastic cutlery and plates are going to be banned soon. Plastic straws are going to be banned soon. And, you know, there are laws that prevent restaurants and grocery stores from throwing away food. So they have to, uh, to give the food to organizations that are going to um, redistribute the foods. 
we started, I think, in 2000, if I remember, when I was like a teenager. I remember there was this band going on in France. And I remember my parents freaking out. And for us, it, it, it's easy now. It, become, it became, you know, something that we do naturally. In general, we have less uh, pollution in, in Europe. It's because we have those really like, strict laws. People are really aware of what is happening, what is going on. Can they recycle this item? Uh, China is not taking the, the items that were recyclables from the U.S., so US don't, we don't have enough facilities to recycle those small items and it's hard, it's complicated to actually do recycle them. So in Europe, we have faced that in the past and we have created solutions to process those items and recycle them. And so this is why we, we have less pollution and more recycling. Um, we definitely need more facilities and people to just take the recycled material. People want to recycle, but if there's nowhere that it can go, then it just ends up in trash. What do you see as the main challenge that the U.S. is facing in terms of recycling? In Georgia, the issue is if you put your plastic films in the recycling cubicle, it's going to break the recycling factory system and then people have to take it off manually and sometimes it can take up to two hours to take off the plastic bags. So really don't put your plastic films inside your recycling cubicle. Um, so plastic wrap includes your plastic bags, bread bags, sandwich bags, all the film, all the plastic film. So what should we do with the plastic bags and the plastic films? You need to bring them back to your grocery store and you're going to find for most grocery stores, so Walmart, Publix, they have this bin at their entrance or in their parking lot where you can put your plastic films. And this is because they have a lot of plastic film from, you know, their big chunks of goods uh, coming in and they recycle them. They bring them to Charm, which is the center for hard to recycle materials. And so this is specific to Georgia, just to precise it, because in California, they go in the recycling. Um, I think you can refer to Nasreen's podcast on plastic recycling, because it was very yeah. detailed. Besides those excellent facts and things we can do, how can people join the Whale Shark Project, and, or maybe if they're in a different city, want to get started with something similar? Um, to there are a lot of different things that everyone can do. First of all, just go to our website and learn more about plastic and how you can reduce your own pollution and the ocean conservation issues. For more information, check out thewhalesharkproject.com. Another thing is if you are a teacher or a parent, talk to your students or kids about our student competition and anyone from elementary through high school can participate. And you can either submit some artwork or some you know, scientific research or some community action report. For more details on how you can participate in the student competition, go to thewhalesharkproject.com. What is a helpful way to remember how we can have a positive impact or small changes we can make for the betterment of the environment? Yeah, so there is a, a rule of thumb 
for you to remember how to tackle plastic issues. So first go with refuse. If you have a reusable bag, take your reusable bags. If you have a choice with a paper bag, take the paper bag. Then reduce as soon as you can. Prefer something that is not made out of plastic. So refuse, reduce, reuse. Any anything can be reused. And then recycle. This is you know like in this order. So if you cannot reuse it or if you had to buy it, then try to recycle it. And the last thing is rot because. In order for you to reduce the amount of trash you have is to compost. Hey, you don't have to take out your trash so often now because it's not trash anymore. So, woohoo! Can you give us a fun fact? So, how many plastic bags do you think we're going to use for the Wellshark project? Because the sculpture is big. What do you think, Nasrin? Um, hundreds. Well, actually, we are thousands. We are using thousands of plastic bags to do that. And we're going to count them. We're going to let you know the exact number. I remember when you and all the other people of the Wellshark team came with all those bags parked in your car, you know, like you couldn't see anything. It was just plastic bags all over the place. <laughs> yes, it's a sta- staggering amount of plastic bags. In joining the project, I didn't realize how much I hated plastic bags until we had to start collecting other people's plastic bags. You guys have worked with a lot of people in, a, in and around Atlanta. Is there um, anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? While working on the project, we had many people join our team including uh, students from Georgia Tech, so Nasreen, Tori, Julie, Natalie, and also a person from the Atlanta Knitting Guild who is um, helping us create the skin for this culture, so Meg. And we'd also like to thank warmly Scott Strader, our sculptor for the project. And because Sky and I live in different cities, we're just organizing things remotely, but all of the work is basically done by this amazing team of really awesome people. And we both want to thank them and we hope they will inspire a lot of different people. In general, a big thank you to all of you guys because yeah, this wouldn't have happened if you, if you wouldn't be there. Yeah, thank you to everyone that has you know, helped us through all those process, including the city of Atlanta. Oh, thank you so much. And you guys are so inspiring. So I know I'm very happy to be able to join you guys in what you've created. We're always looking for people to join the team. So if you're interested in joining the team and helping us get more businesses involved, so talking to restaurants to ask them to not give out plastic straws or give out reusable bags. Um, You're more than welcome on our our team and you can contact us at info at thewellshackproject.com or you can just send us an email to our website. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't already? We started this project from scratch from an idea that we got 
you know, we've had some issues, but I think it's it's going to be impactful for a lot of people because approximately 2 million people visit the Georgia Aquarium every year. And so they're going to see the sculpture and hear about the project. And I think no one should feel like they can't start a project from scratch and have an impact. You just need to have a lot of energy and a lot of perseverance and not give up. Get started on a project and it's going to be hard, but you can make it. It has been an incredible adventure since we started. Like so many people we have met and so many connections. And if you don't feel like starting from scratch, you can just volunteer somewhere. Go help. Go help us. Go help anyone. Go help your your neighbor. You know, small actions matter. So, yes, just go out there and do something. So thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Um, It was my honor to have you guys on here. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you so much. That, that was really amazing. Hooray, we're done. Also, I don't know why I said for adult whale sharks. I can't find a source for that. And we've seen them. <laughs> I mean, we have seen them, but did we really count? Yes, and we talked to the woman who was standing there who told us that there are two boys and two girls. <laughs> okay. I was and like, why do I... <laughs> and then we spent time trying to find their... D- Oh yeah, we did. We really did. And identified which ones are girls and which ones are boys. And there were two of each. Okay, I was like, why do I know that they're specifically four? (laughs) This episode was written by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. It was also edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. Music by Saucy Boy Records. Special thanks to our guests, Leia and Sky from The Whale Shark Project. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Twitter at TGTM Podcast, or on Instagram, or on our website at talkgreentomepodcast.wordpress.com. Thank you.